Let's turn to Romans chapter 5, if you've got a Bible with you. I want to just pose that we are all, as human beings, we are all looking for life. And we're looking for life in abundance, in fullness. We're looking for not just life that is satisfactory or life that can just, you know, pass. But actually, I think there's a deep yearning for more, for more life, for more joy and peace and hope uh, and satisfaction. We want uh, this a yearning inside of ourselves to come alive and to be alive. Sometimes we, when we go on holiday, um, I think two-week holidays are the best, just because you, often you spend the first week of the holiday just like trying to, yeah, whoop, whoop. Um, you spend the first week of the holiday just trying to get over the fact that life has been so mental, you just sort of car crash into the week. Um, and then the second week, you actually start to relax, and sometimes you might think, oh, I feel like I'm coming alive again. Like, we, we want that. Some people are thrill-seekers. They go out and do bungee jumps and throw themselves out of aeroplanes and stuff like that. We, we do have this, this innate yearning for life and satisfaction and excitement. And I think if we're not experiencing uh, that in our life, because there'll be a range of, of us uh, here, I think there's a propensity, therefore, uh, at times to escape from life. Like to escape from the fact that we're not feeling a sense of hope and fulfillment and satisfaction. We can escape into things like Netflix or into games, into like other worlds where we just get to detach ourselves from our experience and our reality. We might even escape into work and just become a workaholic and just like focus on that. You know, evening comes, laptop open, like this is my world, I can control this, I'm just going to focus um, on this, but God wants more for us. He wants us to experience life, and that's why He came to, to earth. That's why He died. That's why He rose again for us to have life in abundance. We're going to see from chapter 5 just where this life um, is. Now, we're working our way through Romans. During chapters 1 to 4, uh, we looked at uh, the essentially the valley of sin and the crux of salvation in Christ. Um, do listen to the previous talks on the website um, if you missed any of those or if you just want to catch up. Uh, but wonderful talks unpacking justification, which is basically God declaring us guilt-free and welcoming us into his family. We've now come to chapter 5. And essentially, this is a beauty. In, in the book of Romans, 16 chapters, we come out... Really, if you think about it as a mountain, we come, we've come out of a valley and we come to a beautiful vantage point in chapter 5, where for the first time we see the peak, the summit of Romans, and that's chapter 8. We get our, a first glimpse of the beauties and the glorious things in chapter 8, but we've got a few chapters before we get there. And what the author Paul does in these chapters is that he gives us three contrasting death and life statements or realities or truths. In chapter 5, it's that Adam, if you live in Adam, you'll face death, but if you live in Christ, you'll find life. Chapter 6 and into 7, it's that if you're in slavery to sin, that's death, but slavery to righteousness, slavery to Christ, is life. And then chapters 7 and 8, that life in the flesh is death, but life in the spirit is, is life. So today we're going to take a look at the uh, Adam versus Christ contrast before 
unpacking what this life in Christ looks like. So if you go with me to chapter 5, we're going to sort of do it backwards. We're going to do the second half first and then come back into the first half. So we'll read from verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin, The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we love you so much and we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it is living and active and we together want to sit underneath it today. We want to sit under your authority your sovereignty, we want to sit underneath whatever you have for us, whatever you want to say to us, I pray we'd be open-hearted, open-minded. Jesus, please speak to us this morning, we pray. Amen. Okay. Right. This passage is fairly complex. There's a lot of sort of toing and froing. There's a lot of contrasting of ideas. But put most simply... Uh, Paul puts this most simply in another one of his letters, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22. And he says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. There are these two camps. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. Those are the two options that God gives us. Think about it like football or any sport really, that's got like a tunnel, uh, and they're going through the tunnel to go out to the pitch, and they're lining up behind two captains. They stand at the front, and the team file in behind. You're either behind one captain or the other. You can't be behind both captains. 
Okay, you're in one team or the other. That's what it's like. You're either in Adam or in Christ. Now, notice that this doesn't say you're either in Adam or in Christ or Islam or Sikhism or Buddhism or another religion or just whatever you feel you want to be a part of. It doesn't say that. It says you're in Adam or you're in Christ. God just gives us these two camps, these two options, and that is it. We read about Adam in Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis, where Adam is given a command. He's told, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can eat from any other tree that you want in the garden. Like there's the tree of life. Eat from the tree of life and you'll just experience my life. Like you won't die. Like just eat that. <laughs> like that's a good tree to have, isn't it? Like if you've got that in your garden, it's like, oh, I'm feeling a bit peckish. Go out to the tree of life, experience life. Amazing. You don't need to turn Netflix on. Great. I'll go to the tree of life. Brilliant. Okay, Adam didn't go to the tree of life. Like There was a point where he went to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He thought he knew better. He disobeyed God. He sinned, and death ensued. Death came into the world like a disease that just darkened and and, and like a Tim Burton film where it's just darkened and blackened and everything started to die and decompose. This passage gives us this theological idea of original sin. Some of you might have heard it, some of you might not. That's okay. A definition of it would be that the impact of Adam's sin on the whole human race is that every person comes into the world as a sinner with a sinful nature. King David puts it this way. I was brought forth in iniquity. I was brought forth in sin with a sinful nature. Now, this really, this idea of someone else's sin having uh, an impact or an influence upon us, I think, really rubs up the gra- against the grain of our individualistic, me-centered culture. Because we think, like, no, this is my life. <laughs> How dare someone else's, like, mess up have such a monumental impact upon my life? How dare it? And yet we see it clearly here. Adam's sin has a massive impact upon the human race. Everything that is true of Adam is true of us as we're born and before knowing Christ. He sinned, became a sinner, and experienced death. In Adam, we have sinned. We became a sinner. We became sinners and have experienced death. And I think in reality, we, if we look at children, even from a very young age, like one or two, that they are predisposed to living a life that is egocentric. It's their world. Don't break in. Don't, like, I want to play with that. I'm not sharing that. This is my life, and I'm, I want to I control my life, and I want to do what I want. You don't need to teach children that, do you? That word of mine. It's our nature. 
The theologian Jared Packer, uh, he, he says this, original sin makes the point that we are not sinners because we sin, but rather we sin because we are sinners, born with a nature enslaved to sin. Now, this begs the question, and really such an important question, if we are sinners, born with a sinful nature, how does God treat sinners? Like, that's really important to know. If that's our state, if that's, if that's what we're born into, how does God treat sinners? We see it in a, couple, a few verses, if you track back in chapter 5 to verse 6 to 8, we find the answer there. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God treats sinners. He dies for sinners. He makes a way for sinners to experience life. He died for the weak and the powerless, for the ungodly and the godless, for sinners, for enemies of God. And this is agape love. It's sacrificial in nature. It lays down its life. It holds nothing back. It bleeds and it dies for you. That's what he does for you. This is how God treats sinners. And if we put our faith, so if we're all born into, the, into Adam with a sinful nature, to get out of that is very important, to find life in Christ. And we get out of Adam and into Christ by putting our faith, it talks about this in Ephesians 2 verse 8, we put our faith in the one who was born not with a sinful nature, who was born a virgin birth. He had no sinful nature, and from his birth, he perfectly obeyed where we couldn't. And if we put our faith in this person, then we are placed in Christ. We transfer from one team to the other team. We're no longer in Adam. That's not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. So we are whoever Jesus says we are. If I wasn't, <laughs> then why would I say I was, to quote Eminem? Um, <laughs> showing my youth. Um, but we are transferred from being in Adam to in Christ. Our identity is in him. Everything that was true of Adam was true of us. Now, everything that is true of Jesus Christ, is true of us. He lived a perfect life. In him, we have a perfect righteousness. He died. In him, we died. He rose again. In him, we rose to new life. Notice how I'm talking past and in present tense, not just like we will be raised, although we will. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, 
ruling and reigning, we also in him, in Christ, are ruling and reigning over his creation. In him. It's an incredible theological doctrine. I'd encourage you to read about it. To find out more. What does it mean to be in Christ? Because it changes everything about how we live our lives. We don't live it from a place of, oh, I'm a sinner, I'm rubbish. Oh, that again. Oh, I can't believe I've done that. No, we're in Christ. We're victorious in him. Yeah? We're not sinners. We're saints. We're victorious. It's wonderful. Now, this difference has gospel implications to the way that we live. I just want to unpack in our remaining time two of those things. The first one is that this life, this life in Christ, looks like being at peace with God. And the second thing is that it looks like boasting in God. And we get both of those ideas from verses 1 to 11. Let's take peace with God to start with. Verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So our peace comes from being justified, by being made right with God, by being placed in him. This has two implications here. Peace with God. Two implications. There are more, but we'll just cover two. The first is that we don't have to therefore prove or justify ourselves. I love justifying myself, defending myself. (laughs) Like, it's just like a, seems like an innate thing to do. Like, no, I didn't say that, or I didn't say it like that. No, you heard me wrong. (laughs) I remember that conversation from a year ago perfectly. (laughs) Just so quick to defend myself, justify myself. We have not justified ourselves before God. Therefore, we don't have to justify ourselves before other people. Yeah? We get something wrong, we admit that. We own that. We can stop striving at those times and just breathe. Yeah? Like, breathe in that truth. We live our lives at such a pace. We often, daily, just need to stop and breathe in that truth. I am justified by Christ. I don't have to prove myself. You don't have to prove yourself. It's not that you're perfect, (laughs) or I'm perfect. We're not. Far from it. But in Christ, he justified us. We've already been acquitted by the one person and the only person who truly matters. We are already accepted, and so we live out of that place of acceptance as sons and daughters of God. A number of years ago, when I was 21, many, many moons ago, I played football, and there were, 
it was the last year that I was at university, and we won the league with one game to spare. That was a brilliant feeling, not just to win the league, but to go into the final game of the season knowing that there was nothing that could happen in that final game to stop us winning the league. We could win, draw, or lose. We'd still win the league. We could lose it 50-0, 100-0, 200-0. We'd still won the league. It changed everything about how we played that game. We enjoyed it for a start. There were no nerves no tension. Someone cut you up, you know, and dodgy challenge. Oh, we've won the league. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Oh, I missed that shot. Well, I'd have liked to have scored, but we've already won the league. You live from a different place if you know you're on the winning side. And brothers and sisters, we are on the winning side. You live from a place of acceptance. The Father has already spoken words of affirmation and love and affection over you. So don't prove, don't try and justify yourself. Don't live from that place. You don't have to. And if you are, like I can be tempted to at times, come back to the Father. Come to Him. Read the word. What does the Bible say about who I am in Christ? It's absolutely life-changing. We can put our full weight, the full weight of our trust into this because it's Jesus Christ who we're trusting. That's the second thing in here with peace with God. We don't have to prove or justify ourselves, and we can put our full confidence in it because this peace is not going anywhere. Its foundation is the immovable and unchangeable Jesus Christ. He will never change. He'll never change his mind about you. The peace and the justification that you have with God is set. It's never going anywhere. The foundation is Christ. It is sure. It is secure. There are some relationships where we might feel like we have to walk on eggshells. Might have had a bad experience in a conversation or something before. You might have said something and it might not have gone down well. Um, and you might just go into the next conversation just like, oh, I can't say that. Or oh, I really need to watch my tone there and make sure I don't say it in that way for fear of it uh, going bad again. Not with God. We do not walk on eggshells with God. Our peace with him is not fragile. Having been put right and welcomed into the family, God will no more turn against us than turn against his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. Hallelujah? Yes, amen. That is such good news. And it's such a sure foundation. So we have peace with God. That's one aspect of our life in Christ. Another aspect that we get from this passage is that we can boast in God. There are three points where Paul says in these 11 verses that we're to boast. The first one is in 
um, if I read from verse 2, it says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So we boast in the hope of the glory of God. That's the first thing. Not only so, but we also glory. Now that glory word that's translated there is the same word that's translated boast in verse 2. So it's the same deal. We're to boast in the hope of the glory of God, verse 2, but we're also to boast in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So two points to say to, to boast. The third one is then fast forward into verse 11. We also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So God wants us to be people who are in him and who boast, like our lives are marked by boasting, that we boast in God, we boast in our hope, and we boast, it says here as well, in our sufferings. Philippians 3, verse 7. Whatever, gain, well, sorry, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. When we come before Christ on the great judgment day at the end, when Jesus has come back on the clouds, he's brought the living and the dead, and there's the great judgment day, let us on that day not boast in ourselves. Jesus will be there, and we'll be pointing to him. We'll be pointing to him and what he has done, not what we have done. Let us never boast in ourselves. On the great judgment day, we will not boast in ourselves, we will boast in Christ. Therefore, let's live lives in the present day that boast only in Christ. Let's warm ourselves up for that great day. Let's build ourselves up in boasting only in him. Let's take great joy and satisfaction in it, in him, in making much of him, in bringing him all the glory. That situation, all because of him, his glory. That narrow escape, all because of his glory. Thank you, Jesus. The way you came through there, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We boast in God. We boast in Christ. It's saying he is great. All I ha am and all I have is because of him. He is glorious. So it changes our lives, our lives, like boasting and being vocal in that. It changes how we live our lives with one another as church family. But it also changed our lives in terms of our evangelism, our telling people about Jesus. 
Because that's what it means to evangelize. It's to tell people about what Jesus has done for you in saving you, in taking you from a place of being a sinner to a saint. And he's done that at the cross. It's boasting in him. A week or so ago, I was at the optometrist because I'm getting some new glasses, sort of bored of supergluing my own glasses. Um, so uh, could I get some new glasses? Anyway, I was chatting to the optometrist, and this guy was a Sikh. He was wearing a turban, and I you know, just got chatting to him um, and just asked him you know, how his day was. And he said, he asked me, like, what do you do? Um, and um, I said, um, I'm a church pastor. Um, and he was like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Now, normally, that sort of really cuts the conversation um, uh, uh, damn, because people are like, oh, they don't really know how to grasp, like, what that, does that mean? Often they say, oh, that's nice for you, you know, or something like that. Yeah, it is nice for me, thanks. Um, so anyway, I, he, then, he then said, like how, like, how does that work? Like, why did you get into that? So I, I just said, look, I've been a Christian since I was a teenager. I've, I heard about Jesus. I heard about everything that he had done for me. And I just thought he was the most amazing person and that if he died for me, that's someone who I could put my trust in. So I just explained this to him, and I, I just said, I read this in the Bible. Like, you could read it too. You could go home and just Google um, the Gospel of Mark and, and read it for yourself. So he, he was like, oh, yeah, I, I will do that. He was like, but I don't think I've got time. And so I said, look, just make time. Look, just, just, you know, don't... Wa- I know I keep mentioning Netflix, but just don't watch Netflix tonight, okay? And just read the Gospel. It's worth it, okay? Take time, make time. He was like, yeah, can you please write down, like, what are the Gospels called? Um, but I was just boasting in Christ. I was just like, my, I do love Jesus. And I know you, those of you who follow Jesus, you love Jesus. Let the boasting out. Let it out. I know you love Jesus. <laughs> Let other people see it. Don't be ashamed of it. Just say, yeah, I do love Jesus. He is amazing. I'd love you to know him too. So we're to boast only in Christ. Galatians 6 verse uh, 14, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So let Jesus Christ be the center of our boasting. The other thing that Jesus calls us to boast in is suffering. Now, I haven't got a huge amount of time to cover this, and I appreciate this might be maybe a more sensitive subject, so please do follow this up in your life groups, um, or chat to someone you love and and trust um, afterwards and into the week. Um, But we're called to boast in Christ, and we're also called to boast in our suffering. Now, when we boast in our suffering, ultimately we are boasting in Christ. Okay, so it's almost like boasting in suffering is like a subcategory of boasting in Christ. Did I say that right? Boasting and suffering is a subcategory of boasting in Christ. When we boast in our suffering, we're putting our hope and trust in our suffering servant. The one who deemed it fit to make a way of salvation through suffering. Okay, so we can boast in suffering. It is precisely in suffering that we experience Christ in the full beauty of who he is. 
in suffering. We partake in the sufferings of Christ. Therefore, there is no meaningless suffering. There's no, there's no hurt or pain or difficult situation or thing that just like, man, that is hard or horrible. There's nothing that is wasted in God's economy. God is the one who works all things out for the good of those who love him. Therefore, we've got a future hope. It says that um, uh, there, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. It is a great hope that we have. He works out all things for the good of those who love him. There's a present, but there's a future deal to that. He is working all things out for the good of those who love him. One day, there'll be a place where we live. The new heavens and the new earth. There'll be no more death, no more suffering, no more sickness. He will have ultimately worked out all things for the good of those who love him. So we can boast in Christ's glorious sovereignty and purposes and plans that in and through our suffering, God is working it out for our good and his glory. It's a rich, rich reality that I would encourage us as church family to wrestle with, to chew over, to share our struggles and difficulties with one another, to listen to one another, to hear one another, to weep and mourn with one another. And as time, you know, as, as you've done that, to find opportunities to share the hope that you have together in Christ. It's a wonderful hope. So this life in Christ, it is a beautiful thing. We've looked at maybe just a few realities of how does that change our lives? How does that change how we live and the position that we live in of being in Christ? How does that change how we live with our uh, spouses or friends or family or work with our colleagues or hang out with our friends? It means we don't have to justify ourselves. We don't have to defend ourselves. We can say, yeah, man, I was... I can hold my hands up there. Yeah, man. I'm justified in Christ. I'm accepted. I'm loved. More than I could possibly imagine. And nothing I've ever done or could do will make God love me more. You know this. Will love me, make him love me more. And nothing I could ever do or will do will make him love me less. His love for us is not dependent on our good works or our perfection or our ability to, to make good of our lives. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. We're going to take communion together, which um, Simon Jacinta kindly have prepared for us. Uh, it's just on the back table. Um, just basically take an opportunity 
um, during, the, during the song as we respond to uh, take the bread and the wine. We're, we're boasting in Christ as we do that. We're centering our hearts and our lives as we look to respond uh, in repentance and worship. Um, we're centering our lives around, uh, around the cross. So do do that. Do that with one another. Feel free to do it on your own if you want some time just to reflect with, with God. Um, but that is, is there as well. Thank you, Jesus, so much. We do love you so much. You are amazing. You are, it's very easy to boast in you, Jesus. It's very easy. There is much to boast about. And I pray that you'd help us. Help us as brothers and sisters, those who are suffering, those who are uh, in a spot of just uh, good times, life is going well, Lord Jesus, wherever we are at, Lord, help us to boast in you, Christ, to find our satisfaction, our life, and our hope in you, to center our hopes and our affections in you, Christ. We love you, and we need your help. Amen. Okay, let's boast in him.